Let's just get right into it. Let's just get right into it. All right, here we go. Here we go. Ezekiel chapter 16. On the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean, nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloths. No one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open fields. For on the day you were born, you were despised. Then I passed by and saw you kicking about in your blood. And, I, and as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, live. Man, that is intense. That is intense. That is from Ezekiel chapter 16. It is just so intense. And, and God there is trying to communicate something that he feels very serious about, right? We are in week two of a series called This Is Us. And this week, the sermon series, the sermon is titled Adopted by God. And that verse right there, that verse is just shows how strongly God feels about us, about his people, right? About his people. Man, I figured why not use a couple of verses to set the tone about how seriously God views this whole business about being adopted by him. God not only saved them, right? He found this baby, right, that was cast out into the field, he found this baby. Not only did he save that baby and say live, but a few verses after that, that baby's thriving. God adopted what was cast away. God took in what was left for dead and caused it to live and to thrive. Like a father like a father. You know, I'm a father too. This is, a, this is actually a picture of, uh, of, of my family. Let me tell you, it is so hard to get a good picture of uh, your kids when they're this age. But I got two kids right now. It's my lovely wife, Andrea. Those are my two kids, Maya, who's three, and Sarita, Zara, who's, uh, who's like five months. Um, it is super hard to get a good picture of them. But they are both looking forward in this picture, looking forward, looking towards the camera. So I'm going to call that a win. Good enough, right? The funny thing about being born, right? And these, these two children were born to us, like I said, three years old and, and five months old. The funny thing about being born is that you don't really have much of a choice in the family that you're born into. You kind of get what you get. You kind of get what you get. And some people get this and some people get that. Like my wife, right, she was born into a pastoral family. Her dad was a pastor. Her mother was very active in church, was, was also pretty much the pastor of that church. There are pastors. That was the family that she was born into. That's kind of like what she inherited as soon as she came into the world. That was her family. In contrast, my, my, my mom was like 17 and my, my biological father was 15. And I never knew him. Do you get what you get, and you don't have much choice, the kind of family that you're born into. You just don't. Some of us get this, some of us get that. Depending on who you get, you'll inherit some traits for them. Whether you like it or not, you will inherit some traits from them. 
My daughter Maya has my blue eyes. My daughter Zara has her mother's brown eyes. There's a combination in there. There's a combination too because maybe my daughter Maya has my blue eyes, but maybe she has the nose like her mother does or something, right? It's always a combination. You, when you were born, maybe you got, maybe you got a little bit of, of blue eyes from daddy and a nose like mommy. Maybe you got brown hair from mommy and, and something else, a smile from your daddy or, or whatever. But it's always like a kind of a mix, right? You inherit what you inherit. You're born into the family that you're born into and you really don't have any choice. It's kind of interesting because when you really, really start to think about it, right? Like, like let's put it into these terms. My wife is, is Colombian. She was born in Colombia. She was raised in Colombia. Her parents were 100% Colombian, right? But you know, in Colombia, Colombians are, are, are a mixture of different kind of like ethnicities and stuff, right? Like the Spanish came over and they had interactions with, the, with the, the Indians, the local Indians, the natives in that area. So like to be a Colombian means that you have Indian, you know, for lack of a better term. You have Spanish, which is like European, but Spain is Europeans mixed with Africans, right? So it's like Spanish, European, African, European, uh, excuse me, Indian, all these things mixed together into the heritage of what it means to be Colombian. And then mixed with me, who I'm from, you know, all over the place. I'm, I'm a mutt. My family's from wherever, right? From like Norway and Sweden and England and stuff, from Western and Northern Europe. So then when you talk about my children, you get this mix. You get this mix. And if you go back through the generations and through the generations, it's just like a God is taking this mix of all these different people and kind of like molding them together into us. And this is us. I don't know where your family is from, but wherever they are from, it's been mixed and mixed and family with other family and with other family and with other family mixed and mixed and mixed all down to you. And the traits that you have come from somewhere in your family tree. That's funny. That's funny because Adam, right? Adam, the first man. Adam, his name in Hebrew is Adamah. And it actually has a, has, a, has a sense. It means from the ground, right? If you recall, Adam was created from the dust, from the earth, from the clay, even molded together. We have been molded together over generations. Over generations. This, this is us. Not only physical characteristics get inherited, but back in the day, it was extremely common for professions. If you were born into a family of bakers, guess what you're going to be? You're going to be a baker. If you were born into a family of, of people who Fix shoes, right? You're going to be a shoemaker. Schumacher in German. Baker in English. What about Thatcher or Dyer or Webster or Hunter or Fisher? Trapper. Those are all last names in English, but those names carry with them a sense of your history, a sense of our history that maybe we don't even know. But at one point in time, that meant something. If you were born into the Baker family, you were going to be a baker. More likely. If you were born into the Mason family, you're going to be a Mason. If you're the, a potter, chances are you're going to be a potter. 
We see it even with Jesus. Jesus in the New Testament is referred to as a carpenter. And we see that it was a family profession that he kind of inherited from his adopted father, Joseph. Right? Let's look at uh, at Matthew here. Matthew 13. Jesus at this point has already started his ministry. He's walking around doing all kinds of awesome things. And the people scoff at him and they say, look, he's just the carpenter's son. We know him. We know his dad was. And we know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph, etc. We know all of them. Jesus, in a way, inherited that profession from his father, Joseph. And I say adopted, right? I say adopted because we know his real father was God the Father. We know his real father was God the Father. The whole thing with Mary and the Immaculate Conception, we're not going to get too, too deep into that, but I would have just loved to have been a fly on the wall during the conversation that Mary had to have with Joseph when they're engaged to be married, they haven't had sex yet. And Mary's got to sit down with Joseph and be like, now Joseph, I got to tell you something. You know, what was it like? That must have been so awkward. Like how, like how, how would you take that, right? And Mary's just probably just like, I'm pregnant. It wasn't another guy. It was the Holy Spirit. And Joseph is like, I, you can just see, you can just see from the story here. Joseph doesn't believe it, right? Matthew chapter one, right at the beginning, the, the nativity story. Joseph doesn't believe it, and he's thinking to divorce her. It says quietly divorce her. Quietly divorce her. You know what the the penalty was in Jewish law for adultery? It was stoning to death. Yeah. So Joseph, if he wanted to be a bad guy about it, if he wanted to hold even to the letter of the law, he could have absolutely delivered her up and been pushing for her to be stoned to death crazy (laughs) but instead he decided in his heart that he was going to divorce her quietly yeah she probably cheated on me i'm just gonna kind of let it go crazy (laughs) but the bible says as he was considering this divorcing her quietly an angel of the lord appeared to him in a dream and said joseph son of david do not be afraid to take mary as your wife For the child within her was conceived by, not another dude, was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son. And I want you to check this out here. I want you to see this here. She will have a son and you are to name him Jesus. Mary is not going to name him Jesus. Somebody else isn't going to just walk into the room and be like, I had a vision and God said name him Jesus. The angel is telling Joseph, even though this child is technically not your child, I want you to name him. You are going to take him as your own. You give him that name. You will adopt him. You will place him as yours. And the name Jesus, originally Hebrew, right? Yeshua. He will save. That's what it means. He will save. Name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So Joseph treated him as his own, even though technically he wasn't. He adopted Jesus. 
Now, Webster's Dictionary defines adoption as to take by choice into a relationship. To take voluntarily, like a child of some other parents, to take voluntarily and take them into your relationship with you. I think that's fine. That's a fine definition. I think that the Greek, when Paul in the New Testament uses adoption in the Greek, it just has this extra little sense that I think that we miss if we just ride with that, uh, that Webster's definition. It means to place. To place as. Adoption fundamentally means a change in position. If you adopted somebody from a different family, the position of that person that you adopted changed from belonging to that family to belonging to your family. Adoption, a fundamental change in position. So Joseph adopts Jesus, raises him. He gave him a name, taught him carpentry, placed him into his own family, and treated him as his own child, so much so that the people around him just assumed that Jesus was Joseph's firstborn son. That's why they were saying, "Ah, he's just the carpenter's son. Joseph treated him so much as his own that everyone around him thought that that was his own. So we can very safely assume here, by God designing the story, the nativity story in this fashion, we can assume that being adopted by God is incredibly important. Now, in other words, another way that the Bible likes to put it is God likes to take the lonely and put them into families. God seeks out the people who are far off to bring them close. So many times in the Bible, right, God like leaves the 99 sheep to go find the one that was lost and bring them back where he belongs. I know that there's there's just a lot of people out there in the world, a lot of people in, in life, probably in this room as well. It's like, sometimes it's like a shyness, or sometimes it's like a, a fear of like awkwardness or something that in a way like holds us back. Inside, we're crying out and we're saying, I don't have any friends, man. I feel like I'm all alone. And sometimes maybe it's pride or something else just kind of holds us back from being able to step out a little bit and find that family, find that community even, find those relationships even, right? That's why we try to do this thing. We, we do it um, every couple months. You know, it's coming up actually next week. It's called Group Link. It's community groups that we run here at this church. Really, this night is designed for people who are ready to take that little baby step and say, I, I, I do want, I want to, I want to be a part of something. I want to, I want to, I know it's awkward, I know it's terrifying sometimes, but I want to, I need to meet new people. I need to be a part, to feel like a part of this thing. Church can't just be a Sunday morning thing 
for an hour and a half. I need that relationship. So this night, this grippling night, 6.30 next Sunday, all of our community group leaders will be here. So many of them have open spots in their group, and they would love to meet you and get to know you. And of course, it's going to always be a little bit scary to meet new people, right? But we try and set it up kind of like as, a, as almost like a party atmosphere. It's like kind of upbeat music. We'll have awesome food and just very low-key. All the groups will be here with open spots, and you can just go around and meet people who are in the same, I don't know, boat, the same kind of phase of life as you, maybe the same physical location, the same town that you're in or something. And with no pressure, you know, come on out and check it out. Because God, I believe that God, if you're not already in a group, in community you should probably be. And for those, you know, community groups out there, community groups are great, and community group leaders, like, do a, a lot, and, and it's a big commitment, right? It's even a big ask. It's like, you got to open, open your hearts, a lot of times open your doors, your houses, or whatever, open your lives to all these people that are going to come out, and you're going to kind of forge and make community with them. So, 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 so if you guys are running a community group, we just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Thank you so much. You're not just being obedient to, to what the church wants, but I really believe that it's a part of the greater mission of God to open the doors, to take in the stranger, to take in the foreigner, right? The Bible talks all about that. Now, if you're a community group and, and you've been the same group of people for like five years or something like that, I would hope that we haven't kind of like turned it into something that it wasn't really meant to be, right? Because it's never been meant to be like my high school experience was where, where you know, it's like I, I felt like I was trying to make friends in high school and like there'd be like a, a table of kids at lunch and they'd be like, sorry, dude, no new friends. Community groups are never meant to be a clique like that. You will see your friends. You will see them. Open your hearts. That's what it needs to be about. Open your hearts. So thank you. Next week, I hope to see so many of you guys there. It's going to be great, all right? It's going to be great. Anyways, back to adoption. It is such an important concept that it is shown throughout the whole Bible. The full scope of God's work of salvation even, past, present, and future, is seen in adoption. God's salvation. All the way back in the past. All the way through us and into the future. speaks about God adopting us as his children. Let's talk about the past, the adoption of the Jews. Remember the story maybe of, of it's from Exodus, the story of the Israelites in slavery, in bondage in Egypt, being treated badly, forced into slavery, calling out, help us! And what did God do? God Rescue them. Here in Exodus 6. Therefore, say, this is the Lord speaking, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will free you from your oppression and I will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgments. I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. 
the Lord adopted the people of Israel. I will be your God. You will be my people. God, his power of adoption, the principle of adoption, the theme of God's adoption was present all the way back there in the past. In the same way that God rescued them from their bondage and their slavery in Egypt, in the same way, almost, God has rescued us. We were once slaves to sin. We were once in bondage. But God chose to rescue us as well. We were once on the outside looking in. But just like God didn't leave the Israelites in their position, and just like God didn't leave a lot of us in our former position. God, God is looking to change your position if you don't know him. Anyways, Romans 6, 6. We know that our old sinful selves, sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. We've been released. We've been pulled out of that slavery, of that bondage. Very similarly to the Israelites being pulled out of Egypt and their slavery. So that brings us right into the present, the adoption of you. So the past, it was the adoption of the Jews. The present, it's the adoption of you. What was once only a special relationship for the Jews, that special relationship became available to us all in Jesus. The New Testament. New Testament, man. In John 1, right kind of at the beginning, talking about Jesus showing up on the scene. We're going to pick it up here. I'm just going to let it speak for itself. Jesus. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him about the Jews, actually. He came to Israel and they rejected him. And ultimately, what did they do? Well, killed him, right? Yet all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name. Now, who gave him that name, by the way? Joseph was used to name him. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, not of human decision or a husband's will but born of God born of God those who believe in him will be born of him born of God God will be your father because you believe in him God's Holy Spirit in that moment of belief comes inside of us, dwells within us, and cries out from inside of us, Father, you are my Father and I'm your child. Lord, I once was a slave, I once was lost, now I'm found. blind now I can see wow 
But you might say, I thought all of us were children of God. I thought all human beings, everybody out there, we're all God's children, right? This is a tough one. This is not a politically correct verse right here. This is a tough one. And I, and I, would, I would rank this up there in my list of like pet peeves. This is up there, right? This is up there. But I'm going to let Jesus handle this, and I'm going to let him say it himself. John 8, 44. Man. He's talking to the religious leaders of his day. And they're all over him. They are not happy with him. They are plotting against him. He actually leads it off right before this. He says, if God were your father, you would love me. Because I have come to you from God. I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, the devil. Yikes. And you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. What do they do to Jesus? These very same leaders that Jesus is talking to. Oh, they murder. He has always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. And when he lies, it is consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Woo. I bet that cut them to the heart. And still, still, they still murder him. So next time says, well, we're all God's children, right? I'm talking about everybody. Honestly, I know it's politically incorrect, but Jesus is saying right there, some of, us, some of the people out here are absolutely not. In fact, we were once the slaves to sin and death ourselves, but now if we have the Spirit of God in us, we are not like them. We are God's children, Romans 8. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he what? When he adopted you as his own children. When he placed you. When he changed your position. And brought you near to him. And made you a part of his family. And I'm not talking about a make-believe, invisible, maybe, uh, I don't know, kind of a father. It's a very real father. And a very real relationship with us who have that spirit of God inside us. By his grace. Remember that. It's so easy to forget that. Remember that. God is your father. You have been bought with a price. You have been brought into that position of childhood. Child of God. You received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children, and now we call him Abba, Father. Father. For his spirit joins with our spirits to affirm, can you go back for a sec? To affirm that we are God's children. And it goes on. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. Man, I could, I could preach an entire separate sermon on what it means to be heirs right? Inheritance, the inheritance of God for those who are in God, for those that are his children. Since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of what? Heirs of God's glory. 
God's glory. Do you even, I can't even imagine what that really means. What is God's glory and what does it mean to inherit that? Those words don't do that, that justice. God's glory. The Bible says that we are heirs of that together with Christ. And that brings us to the future. Adoption in the past, the adoption of the Jews. In the present, the adoption of you. Adoption in the future is the adoption of the completely new. The adoption of the completely new. Romans 8.21 describes it. The creation looks forward to the day, the future day. looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. The creation looks forward to that day when we will be liberated, when we will be freed from all death and decay. Every tear will be wiped away, every sadness, every sickness, all death, all decay. We will be freed completely from it someday in the future. Oh man, and not just us, but creation as well. Creation as well. Because you look out in creation and it's more death and decay, right? Animals die, all kinds of stuff happens. We'll all be liberated together from death and decay. God's glory. Is eternal life. God's glory is eternal, eternal health, eternal joy. Oh, Lord. Eternity with God as his children, heirs of his glory. The Bible says, no eye has seen nor ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Can you believe that today? Can you push yourself just a half step further and believe that today? Take it to heart. No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has in store for us. I love him because we are heirs of God's glory by his grace through faith in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5. Oof. 2 Corinthians 5. There's, there's just some like passages and some verses that talk about this and they're just like, they're pretty intense, honestly. Verses 1 to 5. Here we go. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that's our body. It's referring to our body there. The earthly tent that we live in, when it is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body. We will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. It says we grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. Growing weary in our present bodies. 
You know, as you get older, and I mean, a lot of us are getting older, right? Your body starts to make more noises and more creaks and more groans and stuff. Sometimes I like roll over and try and get out of bed, and I'm like, whoa, like where did that come from? It's just part of nature, part of what it means to have that earthly tent, that earthly body that we still kind of carry around, right? In a way that's testifying, that's crying out. There's a longing inside of us, desiring that new body that God has for us someday. I know that's a hard concept to grasp, but grasp it. Because it's right here in the Bible. We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We're not going to be spirits without bodies. We're not going to be disembodied spirits when we die. Do you hear that? Do you read that right there? You're not going to be a disembodied spirit. You're going to have a new body that God himself made for you. Not made with human hands. Not made from earthly human passions. But made with God's own hands. goes on while we live in these earthly bodies we groan and sigh but it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us rather we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life God himself has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus. Now, at the top, you know, we, we, we read a little bit of Ezekiel chapter 16. The whole kind of like abandoned baby thing, right? It's like God came and found us when we were just pretty much cast out into a field and left there. Some translations say he found us and we were squirming in our birth blood, right? It's like intense. And what does God say? What does God say? He looked at us. He looked at, and Ezekiel looked at them and said, live. And it lived and it thrived. He adopted that baby, that child, that person that no one else wanted, that people that no one else wanted, left for dead. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move to close here with a, another passage from the same book, right? So it's from the same author, from Ezekiel. Ezekiel was intense. <laughs> it was intense. There's this, there's this section in the Bible in Ezekiel, chapter 37, where, uh, funny enough, Ezekiel, there's some parallels with that beginning story that we talked about, the baby found in the field, right, that, that God spoke to and said, live. Here, God is showing Ezekiel a field again, an open field, and instead of a baby that's, that's basically dying out there in the field, God shows Ezekiel uh, just a valley full of dry bones. They're just left there in the open. I'm going to pick it up. I want to I just read it. And we don't have the verses here. Probably because it would be like 30 slides. 
but I just trust the word here. And I know that it's kind of like fiery and strong, and I, and I just know that you can follow, follow along with the story here. So just incline your ear for maybe the next two or three minutes. And I know this is Ezekiel, and I know that this is, has to do with Israel. You know, it's Old Testament, but there's a lot of parallels between Israel and us, right? There's a lot of places in the New Testament, like we just read about there in, uh, in Corinthians, talking about our new bodies and being raised up and stuff, right? So I want you to hear this. Are you ready? Ezekiel chapter 37. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. And he led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. And he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life, and then you will know that I am the Lord. So Ezekiel, I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, says Ezekiel, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Oh, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they might live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered into them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet, and it was a vast army. And then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, my people, my people, my, my people. I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel, and then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live. Oh, Lord, what have we done to deserve anything that you've given us, God? 
what have we done to deserve you taking us in as your own, brushing us off, cleaning us up, healing us, standing us back on our feet, making us children in your family, giving us a rightful place in your house, legally entitling us to your inheritance, God, your glory. God, what have we done? Oh, Lord, we couldn't have earned it. We couldn't have been justified in ourselves. It had to be you, Lord. You adopted us. Praise you, God. You adopted us, Lord. And what were we, Lord? We were nothing, but you adopted us anyway, Lord. Your great love as our Father, our Heavenly Father, oh Lord, testified to us by giving us your Holy Spirit that we would walk, Lord, that we would walk with you and you with and in us while we still sojourn in these earthly bodies, God, that the deposit from you would be with us all the days of our lives here on earth, but still whispering and testifying and speaking forward towards the great day, Lord, when you will raise up your people, God. And give us the fullness, the completion of your adoption as your children. Oh, Lord. I pray today, God, that anyone that does not know you as their father, Lord, that this word, that your words, God, would speak to them, have spoken to them, that, Lord God, that they have crossed over from death to life, from being an orphan to being adopted by you, Lord. Lord, I pray for the rest of your people, God, that they from hearing the word of God, that that faith would come, Lord, stronger, Lord God, that they'd have a greater understanding of you that would only just help to turn into praise, Lord, because you deserve it for all that you've done and all that you are, God, that together as your people, Lord, we would cry out, Abba, Father, Father, thank you for what you've done in our lives, God. Thank you for being our great Father, Lord, and loving us as your children, Lord. Not just in word alone, but in deed, Lord. You are great, Lord. And all this in the precious blood of Jesus, God, we thank you, Lord. Amen, Father. Amen.